Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Matthew chapter 16. Aren't you glad you came tonight? We're in a series on what you need to know about. Last week we talked about Satan. What you and I need to understand about Satan, who he is, what he does, and how he operates. Tonight we talk about what you need to know about the church, the body of Christ, the group of believers around this world that are not bound by denominational lines. There are people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, who love him, who have given their lives for him, the redeemed who will be with him for all eternity. There will be Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Pentecostals and Assembly of Gods and Catholics and all kinds of people in heaven. There'll be all of those in hell too because there'll be people who are members of the church on earth but were never a member of the church that Jesus died for. We will not worry about what our signs say when we get to glory. We won't ask anybody, well, what church did you go to? We'll just know that if they're there, they belong to the real church. Somebody in a London newspaper offered a prize if someone could answer the question, what's wrong with the church? The answer was turned in by a minister from Wales and he won the prize with this short answer. What is wrong with the church is our failure to realize and wonder at the beauty, the mystery, the glory, and the greatness of the church. I believe the word church is as misunderstood as any word in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and and he is introducing his disciples to the church. This is their first introduction to what's going to happen when he leaves the earth, what his plan is. He has worked through the nation of Israel. He has had a covenant relationship with them, but now in the New Testament, he will have a relationship with his body, his bride, the church. Matthew 16 and verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, so who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, oh, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You know, Jesus, you sound a lot like Jeremiah. There's some tapes floating around here of Jeremiah. They're old reel-to-reels, and, and uh, people hear them and say, you know, that, that preacher, he sounds a lot like Jeremiah when he preaches. Simon Peter answered. He was the only one that said this. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The word church is the Greek word ecclesia. It means the called out ones. It is used 114 times in the New Testament, and of those 114 references, 93 of those refer to a local church assembly. 
those who have been called out by God. They are the whole body of God's redeemed through the ages. They are the designated assembly of believers. They are a group of local churches. When Jesus talked about the churches of Asia Minor, he talked about the ecclesia, the called out ones. D.L. Moody said, Church attendance is, a vital, is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of blood to a sick man. John Wesley says, The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. When you study the New Testament, you will learn this very quickly. There is nothing in the New Testament that gives any reference to Christianity without the church. Now, the church has been put down through the years. I was raised in a generation that said that there was going to be a day when the church was antiquated and out of date and it wouldn't be relevant anymore and we didn't need the church anymore. But I'm going to tell you, as long as the Word of God stands, the church will stand. God has a church and He has a plan. He has a called out people. The founder of the church is Jesus Christ. Now, men found organizations and denominations, but Jesus starts churches. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, and he is the author of the church. He is meeting with his disciples, and it's interesting that he's in Caesarea Philippi because there is a throne to Caesar Augustus in Caesarea Philippi. The Greek god Pan was worshipped in that community. It was a place that at one point during the time of Elijah had been a center for Baal worship. And in this place where all other gods were being worshipped and temples and idols and monuments built to those gods, Jesus says, so who do you think I am? What do you think about me? What do you think about what I'm doing? And he says that there is something that he is establishing, but he begins it by asking a question. Who do you say I am? Now, I think he asked that question because if you're going to have a conviction, you have to have a confidence in what you're convicted in. I have a conviction about the church because I have confidence in the church. I don't have confidence in the church as in the buildings or the structures or the denomination. I have confidence that in spite of everything we do to sometimes mess it up, God's still going to get the church where he wants it to be. Vance Havner said the church must be a divine institution because no other institution could have survived the way we've run it all these years. I've been in enough churches to know that God has his hand in every church. There's a remnant. There are his people in every church, no matter what they believe, no matter where they go, no matter how liberal that church may have come, there is a group of people inside that church that are the bought people of God that have stayed there and prayed and believed God that he's going to turn that church back. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ, that means you're the Messiah. You're the one we've waited for. The Son of the living God. You are God in flesh. This is the answer that the world has never given about Jesus Christ. This is our creed. This is our motto, all packed in a single sentence. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so in that setting, Jesus introduces them to the church. He says in verse 18, I will build my church. By the way, he's the only architect that can build a church that will stand the test of time. He didn't say, I'll build 
your church. He did not say, I'll build your denomination. He said, I'll build my church. I'll build my people who believe in me and love me and follow me and believe that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I will build a church, a body with people like that. Now, I want to tell you something. You and I both know this, but we need to remember it. You can be a member of a local church and not be a member of his church. Almost every obituary that you read in the paper says they were a member of so-and-so church, and some of you know those people and say, man, they never darkened the door of a church. I'm going to tell you, you can get your name on a church roll, but it doesn't mean you got your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. It doesn't mean you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. In fact, Vance Havner said, I could have gotten a lot of people saved if they hadn't joined the church first. You see, the church is founded by Jesus Christ. Uh, I have seen people who said, well, I was baptized by so-and-so, and so I, I feel like I'm saved. You can be baptized by all the apostles and it won't save you. Well, I had an experience one day. You can have all the experiences in the world. But until you have had the experience of Jesus Christ forgiving you of your sin and washing you white as snow and you accepting that he is God's son and he has a plan for your life and you receive him as Savior and Lord, you're not a part of his church. You can be a part of a lot of churches, but you're not a part of his church. And what I fear is that there are places that call themselves churches that preach a weak and watered-down gospel that shave the corners off what salvation is supposed to be, that try to water down who Jesus is and compromise the scripture, and that is a church that is built by men, but is not a church built by God. The founder of the church is Jesus Christ. First of all, the church is a body, and Christ is the head. The church is a body, and Christ is the head. By the way, you understand, don't you, that you can't operate without your head. Now, I've met some people that seemed like they were operating without their head. But you can't operate without your head. And the body that functions without the head in control is a body that's out of whack. We have one boss, and that's him. His word and his will for the church is not open for debate and for discussion. This body must do what our head tells us to do. No matter what adjustments that calls us to make. Secondly, the church is the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. Now, folks, you understand that Jesus wants a clean and a pure and a holy bride. He does not want his bride to be adulterous with this world. He wants us to be his bride. And he's preparing a bride to meet him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Thirdly, the church is a building, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now, in every building, there is a cornerstone that is laid that is considered the chief cornerstone. But in the building of the church of God, not in these man-made buildings, but in the building of the church of God, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Fourthly, the church is a brotherhood, and we are children of God. The church is a brotherhood, and we are children of God. Now, you know what that means? That means that we're related. That means that we're family. 
You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. So that means that I got to love you and I got to show up for the family reunions on Sunday. Because the family reunion is not the family reunion unless everybody in the family is there. My dad's been bugging me about coming to the family reunion in Mississippi and seeing cousins I've never met, and I'm 43 years old. He wants me to meet these people that I've never met, that have never, I've never seen them any time in my life. So you, you need to know your family. And I just kind of smile and say, yeah. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Those people are not my family as much as this is my family. Because my family are the people that I'm going to spend all eternity with. You understand that we are a brotherhood and we are related to one another. And that gives a special bond in our relationship with one another that cannot be explained by men. How does that church do it? People talk about Sherwood and they say, you know, how do those people in that church get along? I'll tell you how we do because we're a part of the family of God. Now, when Joe and I were on staff at UConn, <clears throat> we used to sing the family of God for a welcome all the time. And uh, we had some ornery old cantankerous people in that church that, that you know, they, they couldn't get in heaven by the grace of God plus four. And, uh, I mean, they just, you know, they just mean as snakes. <clears throat> and so Joe would be up there leading the music, and uh, everybody's singing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And Charlie Draper and I would be sitting back here on the platform going, I'm surprised they're a part of the family of God. <laughs> church is a brotherhood. And we have a relationship that has been born by the blood of God because we are sons of God. Secondly, the foundation is our confession. Who do you say that I am? You as in plural, verse 15, but Peter alone answers. He says, you are the Christ. Now, first of all, there's a blessing. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. By the way, there's a blessing for anybody that says you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. There is a plan. Upon this rock I'll build my church. And there's a promise, the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Now the word rock was recognized by the Jews as a symbol of God. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, Psalms chapter 18 verse 2 and verse 31, it is used as a symbol of God. But I want you to notice something. The word Peter and rock are two different words in the Greek. Now this is important because some people think that the founder of the church is Simon Peter. And that the confession of Simon Peter is the way we get there. This is real important. This is not a Baptist making this up to try to offend anybody. I'm just telling you what the New Testament says. It's two different words. First word, you are Peter. Petros, a stone, masculine gender. That is a masculine gender word. You are, Peter, a stone. Upon this rock I will build my church, Petra, a large stone, neuter gender. One is Peter, a rock. The other one is a large stone. Two different words, same root. One's masculine and one is neuter. Why? Because he says, Peter, you're just a piece of the rock. You're a chip off the old rock, Peter. But you're not the rock. The rock is the confession. Upon this rock, upon this 
confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon all those who confess that, I will build my church. Upon anyone who says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'll build my church on that rock-like principle. That rock-like confession. And notice what he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In other words, Simon Peter, I mean, you know Simon Peter, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He wasn't sitting over there on the side going, you know, I think I've got this figured out. I think Jesus Christ, I, you know, I've been watching him. And I've been growing for a while, and I'm a little more mature in my faith, and, and I think I've got this figured out. I think, um, let's see, I'll take uh, Jesus Christ for $400. Uh, I think you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus didn't say, hey, lucky guess. He said, Simon Peter, you didn't get that on your own. My father told you that. Now this is important because Simon Peter didn't make this confession because all of a sudden he had become mature in his faith. He did not make this confession because he was showing how stable he was in his relationship. He wasn't making this confession as a great patriarch of the church or a founder of the church because you remember just two verses later he says something and Jesus turns around and says, you're the devil. And it's not too long until he's standing by a fire warming his hands and he denies Jesus with oaths and curses. Now I'm going to tell you something, folks. You don't build your church on anybody that you call the devil because he says something wrong and has oaths and curses about who Jesus is and denies him. You don't build your church on anybody like that. If you do, you're in trouble. But he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You see, Jesus gave him the name Peter. Remember, his name was Simon. He said, one day, your name's going to change to Peter. He gave him this name because of his confession, not because of his maturity. You see, you can be a little boy and make the confession, but it doesn't mean you're mature enough to build a church around. You can make that confession in childlike faith, but it doesn't mean you can build an institution around it. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, you see, when a man touches the rock, he becomes identified with the rock. The bride takes the name of her husband. The children bear the image of their parents. In 2 Peter, he writes that we are partakers of the divine nature. Just a side note. I think anybody that ever says, I used to believe in Jesus, but I don't anymore, never believed in Jesus. You don't used to believe in Jesus. You believe in him. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when you've made that confession, that confession changes you forever. Now, would you write down a little note somewhere on your note sheet or something? Peter did not deny Jesus out of unbelief. He denied him out of fear. Peter didn't quit believing and then have to get saved again. He denied Jesus out of fear, but he never denied him out of unbelief. Secondly, the church's continuing role. Local assemblies were established. Paul 
gave several plumb lines for measuring the effectiveness of the church. They're in your notes. Let me just go through them. First of all, the church is established and its continuing role is for the organization of believers, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. You say, well, I, you know, I, I just don't like things to be organized. I, I just want to kind of float and, you know, I want to tell you something, folks. God created order out of chaos at creation. He can create order out of chaos anywhere else. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of order. He's a spirit of leadership. He's a spirit of direction. He guided the church. He didn't say, well, y'all just get out there and do whatever you want to do and I'll bless it. He guided, he directed, he planned the church for it to move in certain areas and not to go into other areas. It is for the organization of believers. Secondly, it is to provide fellowship for believers. Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Thirdly, it is to teach and to train and disciple and evangelize the world. Fourthly, it is for worship and prayer and accountability. Fifthly, it's for service. Now, we don't have time to look at this tonight, but let me just mention 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26. Why do we get involved in the church? Why should people become involved in the church? Two things. First of all, involvement dispels division. And secondly, involvement cultivates compassion. When you're involved, it dispels division and it cultivates compassion. You begin to want to work together. You begin to love the people that you're working with and you lay aside your differences. In the church, we lay aside our wishes and our whims and our wants and our differences for the good of the body. The toe doesn't go around screaming for its own rights. The hand doesn't say, I'm more important than the ankle. All the parts of the body work together for the good of the whole. Church's continuing role is for organization, for fellowship, for training, for worship, for service. Have you ever picked up a hitchhiker? Wouldn't advise it in this day and age, but you know. You know what a hitchhiker does, don't you? They stand out there and make that little noise on that keyboard. There. Uh, they stand out there and here's what they're saying. If you'll stop, I'll ride on your gas, I'll ride on your insurance, I'll ride on your car payment, I'll ride on your air conditioning, I'll ride and listen to your radio, and I'll get out, and it won't cost me anything. I know some church hitchhikers. We'll ride on the gas of the givers. We'll enjoy it, we'll come and listen, we'll be blessed by the orchestra and blessed by the choir and blessed by the service and enjoy our Sunday school class and thank God for the air conditioning. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We'll thank God for all the things that we've got. We'll just be blessed by it and we'll just hitchhike our way through. Folks, listen. Nobody hitchhikes in the real church. The real church is a place where we get involved with what God is doing and we get in on what God is doing now, I, I love Andy Griffith. I, I hope they have Andy Griffith reruns without the Ted Turner edits when we get to heaven. <laughs> you remember the Andy Griffith episode where the, where the man, uh, 
Barney gave the guy a ticket out in front of one of the stores, and, and, and he said to Barney, he said, I'll tell you what, should I ever catch you out of uniform, I'll beat you up. And you remember that whole episode, Barney, I mean, everywhere he went, went out on the dates wearing his uniform. You know, Barney, just, he's just kind of fumbling around. He can't find the one bullet he's got, you know. And, and he just going, he's going nuts. He goes out on the date with Thelma Lou. And he's, you know, he's, he's wearing his uniform. Barney, why you got your uniform? Oh, I just need to wear my uniform. Just need, you got to wear my uniform. Finally, toward the end of the episode, Andy finds out that the reason Barney is wearing this uniform is because he is scared that this guy's going to beat him up if he ever catches him out of uniform. Now, any of you that have seen that episode and are Andy Griffith fans know Andy Griffith's always got this great spiritual truth that he's trying to teach somebody. And I love what Andy Griffith said to Barney. He said, Barn, we're not just officers when we have the uniform on. We're officers all the time. The uniform's just a symbol. You say, well, what does that have to do with the church? i tell you what it has to do with the church. We're not just Christians and church members when we're here on Sundays and Wednesdays. We represent Sherwood Baptist Church and most importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ all the time. Whether you got your Sunday clothes on or not, you still represent Jesus Christ all the time. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you represent him all the time. And our confession is of him and our continuing role is to be the church in the world. Now let me tell you what the church demands. First of all, the church demands your loyalty. Your loyalty. Secondly, your life. And thirdly, your love. Your loyalty, your life, and your love. I heard a story about a family that was riding home from church and the dad was right along, and boy, he's just griping. He said, I tell you what, you know, the orchestra was too loud today. I couldn't hear anything because the orchestra was too loud today. And the mom said, well, I tell you what, it wasn't the orchestra that bothered me. It was the song selection that bothered me. They didn't sing any songs that I liked. I didn't know the words to some of those songs. And Grandma was sitting in the back, and she said, Well, I'll tell you what bothered me. I was on the back row as far back as I could get, and I couldn't hear a word the preacher said. <laughs> and the little boy's sitting there, and he's listening to all this, and he reaches over in the front seat, and he taps Dad on the shoulder and says, But Dad, don't you think it was a pretty good show for a nickel? Thirdly, the church's continuing promise. Boy, I love this part. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. There's no force, there's no organization, there's no law, there's no army on the face of the earth that can stop the church of Jesus Christ. It will continue, it will move, it will be blessed of God. Now, Here's what happens. We get this idea of the church. We said, you know, and I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. We get this idea of, 
of, you know, well, you know, times are getting bad and people are not as interested in the church and people are not as interested in God as they used to be, you know, and, and baby busters are, you know, they're not really church-oriented and there's a lot of baby boomers and they're not church-oriented and, and you know, what's going to happen is, see, see, we're going to get down to a handful of really feeble elderly people just kind of scattered out among a few pews and a few churches around the country holding on to their old Bibles, praying hard, clinging to the hymnal, hoping that Jesus will someday come back before we have to close the doors and sell the property. And somewhere just before we collapse, Jesus is going to come back. That is not what this says. That is not what it says. What this says is that we are a church on the offense. By the way, do you understand that city gates don't attack? City gates are defensive, not offensive. Gates do not move on us. We move on gates. And he says, when the church starts moving, and when the church believes that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and when the church stands for everything that it's supposed to, when the church is filled with the Spirit and walking in the power of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm going to build a church that even hell can't stop. That's what God's doing. God's building that kind of church. It's not the gates of hell attacking the church. It's the church attacking the gates of hell. And this church has been placed in a sinful world and the God of this age is in control and we don't have to wait for favorable legislation. We don't have to look for ministerial discounts and, and better places to meet and, and uh, acceptance by the community or anything. The church has never been accepted by the world, not the real church. In fact, beware when all the world speaks well of you. It means we're not standing for much. We are the church militant and triumphant. And God has given us a power that if we would appropriate it, we can storm the gates of hell like they were eggshells. Now, I want you to notice something, and then we're through. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Now, would you write something, margin of your Bible, and somewhere by that verse? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. But I can hinder it. I'm going to tell you something, folks. The problem with the church is not the gates of hell. The problem with the church is not Satan. The problem with the church is that we don't take God at his word. The problem with the church is, is that we get so caught up in ourselves and our agendas and our plans and our wants and our dreams and our thoughts that we hinder the church. Carnality stops more church, more churches than the devil's ever stopped. A whole lot more. Let me ask you a question. Are you storming the gates of hell tonight? 
or you shrivel up in the corner hoping that Jesus comes back before you blow it? Are you aggressive that the church has the blessings of God like no other institution? He said, I will build my church. God has chosen and ordained in his plan that when his people operate according to his plan and his agenda, he does something that cannot be explained. Are you helping that or hindering it? We're all supposed to be helping it. Carnality will keep us from doing that. You know what you need to know about the church? There's only one way you get in. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when you get in, you're a part of a body. There are no lone rangers in God's church. We work together. We are a part of a family. We are a part of a body. And we are a brotherhood. And when one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one is working, we pitch in and we work together. I'm, I'm pretty high on the church. I like the church. I love the church. The reason I love the church is because the one who loves me gave his life for the church. And as long as he loves the church, I'm going to give it my love and my life and my loyalty because that's what he would expect me to do. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Catt. For more information about Sherwood, visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. Thanks for listening and join us next week for another podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church.